we begin in the middle of the story. Just like Christmas does in your life, the long foretold event finally comes to pass in the birth of Jesus. Generations have waited for this moment, and with his birth, a new air of hope and healing. You see, the nature of hope is that it is a longing, a longing for the not yet realized. You may not know what Christmas means right now, just like the Magi didn't know exactly what the star meant, only that something important was happening. And still a star leads us to Bethlehem, where the hopes and fears of every year come together. And a child's birth gives us hope for what is possible. Well, good morning and Merry Christmas, everyone. It is great to be with you, whether you're watching online or at one of our campuses or here at Lexington. And if you're new or visiting, we're really honored that you are here, whether you're just checking out church or perhaps coming back into town after uh, being away and spending the holidays with friends and family. We are so thrilled that you're here. It was pointed out to me after the first service that I actually blend in with our backdrop today. So that is like a Christmas miracle. But uh, we've been having a great Advent season leading up to Christmas here at Grace. We have been talking all about how we might experience and extend hope to the world, a world that needs hope in desperate ways, just as we do each and every day. We've seen what hope is. We've seen how we can experience hope from our past. Next week, we'll look about how we can experience hope for our future. And over the next couple of nights, we'll be able to hear how Jesus is the hope of the world for our, during our Christmas Eve services. They are really powerful. And so I hope you and your friends will come back to join us for that. Well, today I have been given the task to talk about hope for our present. And if you've been around here at Grace for, say, more than a couple years or so, you might understand how this is kind of ironic that I have been asked to speak about hope for our present at Christmas time. Because over the last several years, I had the great and distinguished honor to get to dress up as this guy during Christmas. It was called the present guy. And I was about calling people to give more presents. And someone actually dared me, hey, why don't you preach this sermon as the present guy since it's on presents? And thought about it, but I realized as I was writing the sermon, I think this message is just too out of the box uh, to do that. So <laughs> couldn't resist that one right there. But to try and help us illustrate what we're talking about when we talk about hope for our present, let me try and illustrate. See, the weeks leading up to Christmas can be absolutely thrilling. Anticipation builds as we get ready to light our candles at Christmas Eve. Uh, this is the whole Advent season that leads up to Christmas. And then we cannot wait for Christmas morning and the unwrapping of gifts, the opportunities that we have to be able to see friends and family that we don't get to see often enough. It is an amazing, amazing time. It kind of reminds you of the anticipation if you're hiking that you're about to experience when you're coming to the crest of a mountain, you get to eclipse that little area. You get to look out and see 360 stunning views of our God-bathed world. That's kind of what these days leading up to Christmas are like. And then once you reach the top of the mountain, you know you get to, un uh, to unwind, get the rest of it. You get to just leisurely enjoy yourself. And that's kind of what these days between Christmas and New Year's are like. There's a great experience of plenty of leftovers. Life feels unheard. There's no school, and hope is just overflowing in those moments. But eventually, January 2nd comes, 
and you have to descend this mountain right back into ordinary life, right down here. Uh, we get to trade that idyllic uh, New England winter that we enjoy that Christmas season. Instead, we trade that for the wrath of the unrelenting, cold, dark, often dank New England winters. And I do apologize for bringing this up a little bit, but we have to talk about it. We know it's coming, and sorry for being a little Davy Downer here today. But in this moment, how do we live with hope when this experience that we have been looking forward to is now over? When the difficulties and pressures and stresses of life return and feel never-ending? How do we live with hope in a world where loneliness is on the rise, where being anxious is the new norm, and daily life is an everyday grind just to make it? Where does faith fit in after Christmas, before Christ's return? Where does faith fit in this valley of the ordinary life? That's what we want to talk a little bit about here. See, I believe the, many, the reason many of us can fade away from the faith is because we start to lose hope. For many of us who maybe call ourselves Christians or at one point thought that we were religious, those Early days of following Jesus or attending church can be quite thrilling. There's kind of an emotional high that comes with making a decision for Christ or for attending church or being baptized or, or serving or going to a camp or something like that. And we sort of get the impression that this emotional high that we get as we start our faith journey is what the Christian faith is going to be like throughout its duration. But instead of having to descend that mountain of faith, we kind of assume that we'll get to live instead on like a ridge line. That we'll kind of get to live up here on this kind of emotional high and not have to live down here like everybody else. But the feeling, that emotional high that we get of following Christ eventually starts to wear off. And we start to think that maybe we've done something wrong because of it. Why is this thrill of following Jesus gone? <coughs> Excuse me. And not only does the high wear off, but challenges and temptations we didn't experience before we started following Christ start to arise now. So it's this moment of descent that I want to speak into today. How to live with hope when the thrill is gone. I think this is so important for us to understand because the majority of our faith is lived in ordinary life. Yes, there are a lot of great highs and exceptional moments of hope that we'll experience in our faith journeys, but they are really the exception and not the norm. Most of life and faith is not lived on holiday. But this challenge of living in the present, in this valley, is not something that's just new to us or something unique to us. But in fact, we meet people all throughout the scriptures who had these very same challenges. Even the people that we will be talking about in our Christmas Eve services, the very characters in the Christmas story. Take the shepherds, for instance. They lived as ordinary of lives as you can imagine. Then one day, an angel of the Lord meets them in their fields, announces the birth of the long-awaited Messiah, and they make the trek to be able to see this newborn king and celebrate his birth. But eventually, they have to return to watch their fields by night. And while they knew something had radically changed because Christ had come, I wonder if they started to get weary in their ordinary moments wondering, why hasn't more changed because Christ has come. Why, is our why are our lives now so strikingly similar to the way they were before he was born? 
Or consider Mary and Joseph in their journey. Their lives get divinely interrupted in both the best and probably the most scary ways possible. They are going to be the parents of the Messiah, God himself. How thrilling and humbling, right? But they are going to be the parents of the Messiah, God himself. How terrifying and overwhelming would that be? Yet after the drama of Jesus' birth unfolded, and as his family is ready to settle into their new exhausting norm of parenting, they find themselves sprinting down the mountain. King Herod's aim to kill the rumored birth of the true king of the Jews left Mary, Joseph, and Jesus to live on the run. They escaped to Egypt and they have to survive as refugees because they had nowhere else to turn or to hide. Eventually, They're called back to live in their homeland. And for the next 30 years or so, nothing too spectacular really happens. It's just the ordinary routines of life and work and home and and just trying to survive. So if you've ever felt that your faith journey feels off because perhaps it just feels too normal or too routine or too ordinary, then you're in good company. You're in good company with the shepherds and with Mary and Joseph and really every person we meet in the Bible for that matter. And for all these people and for ordinary people like you and me, there is a way down in the valleys of life and the ordinary routines that we can live with hope no matter how wearisome your circumstances might be. So here's what I hope that all of us would know today. That we can experience hope in our present by being present to the presence of God. We can experience hope now in our present by being present to the presence of God. In other words, if we want to live with hope, we need to be with God. Or we could say it like this, hope is available because God is here. Hope is available because God is here. The late author and pastor Eugene Peterson helps us understand just how inseparable this connection between having hope and being with God is. He writes this, hoping does not mean doing nothing. It is the opposite of desperate and panicky manipulations of scurrying and worrying. And hoping is not dreaming. It is not spinning an illusion or fantasy to protect us from our boredom or our pain. It means a confident, alert expectation that God will do what he said he will do. It is imagination put in the harness of faith. It is a willingness to let God do it his way and in his time. Faith is a willingness to let God do it his way and in his time. So to trust God's ways, to rest in his promises, to surrender to his purposes, we must remember who he is. In anticipation of Jesus' birth 700 years before he actually came, the Old Testament prophet Isaiah shares five names of who this coming Messiah will be called. God's names are reflections of his character. And as we remember his character, we will be able to cultivate lives that resound and abound with hope. So in the remainder of our time today, I would love for us to examine these five names that Jesus is given I believe at least one of these names will speak to your present needs, to your present fears, and to your present situation. To find hope where you are, all you need to do is just whisper one of these names of God, and Jesus will meet you where you are. 
So let's listen to a couple of short passages from the Old Testament book of Isaiah where we discover these names. First, we'll start with Isaiah 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and we will call him Emmanuel. Then in Matthew's gospel, after Jesus' birth, he quotes this passage and defines what Emmanuel means. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Emmanuel, God with us. That's name number one. Then in Isaiah 9, we learn what the other four names are, starting in verse 1. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. The people in walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in a land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. For unto us, a son is given, and, the, and a child is born. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So let's examine each of these five names that are given to Jesus one at a time. And as we do, be listening for which of these names really resonates with your present experience. So the first one is Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, if you've ever wondered what the Bible was really all about, start to finish, it's kind of an intimidating book. But probably the best summary uh, and most compelling explanation I've ever heard is this, that the Bible is all about the with God life. The Bible is about the with God life. From the creation story in Genesis to the restoration story that we await, that Revelation tells us, we meet a God who out of the perfect loving relationship that existed within himself between the members of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, out of that loving relationship, this God creates a world to share his love to people and to the world. All throughout scripture, we learn the great lengths that God goes to in which for him to be with his people and to have a relationship with them. And then in the Christmas story, we discover just to what degree, to what extent he will go to so that we could be with him. It's an, an unimaginable reality that in Christmas we remember that God took on human form in the person of Jesus and was actually physically present with us. It's both utterly miraculous and wondrously mysterious. God, our Emmanuel, he showed us and taught us how to live. He died in our place and he rose from the grave to defeat sin, to put death to death, and to forgive and free us so that we might be able to walk in a renewed kind of life both now and forever. This is love. Love that is written in blood and proclaimed in resurrection. The good news of the gospel is that no matter who you are or where you are, you are invited in to live a life with God that starts now and will never end. All because of who Jesus is and what he has done out of his love for us. This helps us know that our God, although he might appear to be distant, in fact, he is near. Although God might seem absent to you, we can trust that he is present. Although our God seems withdrawn, we can instead live by faith knowing that he is with us. And we can remember that our God has a name. Matthew and Isaiah tell us it's Emmanuel. He is with us. 
Although we can't see him visibly with our eyes or hear him audibly with our ears, like the wind, though we can't see it, its impact is impossible to ignore. And in the same way, God, although we can't perceive him, and in the, in the same way that we can perceive other people and other things, he is nevertheless more real and more personal that we can possibly fathom, and his impact is impossible to ignore. And this Christmas story, it is a story of God stooping down, going out of his way to be with us, to be seen and heard, felt and, and smelled even, uh, so that we in the fullest, realest way possible might be able to be with him. Thus, I would say that maybe the most essential and inescapable question that each and every one of us has to ask ourselves is this. Do you want to live the with God life or the without God life? Do you want to live life with him or without him? Do you want to live the Emmanuel life with God or do you want to live an immune life resistant to God? How would you answer that question? All of us have to answer it at least at two levels, on the macro level and in the immediate moments of ordinary life. At the macro level, we need to understand that our our life has an overarching narrative and trajectory, and it's going to be determined by whether or not we choose to live a life with God or if we instead want our life to be directed more from our intuition, our feelings, our wants, our desires, or our intellect. What's going to lead to the fuller, richer, better life? I hope all of us choose to live life with God. It has been the greatest decision I've ever made in my life, and I hope you will make that choice too if you never have before. But we don't just make this decision at the macro level. We also have to make this decision in the very ordinary moments of life. Will we live life with God or without him when we're at home or at work, when we're playing or just relaxing, when we're with others or when we're by ourselves? Every moment of every day is an opportunity to live life with him or without him. And here's what I hope we understand is that the more present and aware that we are that God is with us, the more hope we are going to live with. We'll get way more hope from living life like that with God than we ever will watching the news or scrolling through our social media feeds or whatever we kind of turn to hoping to have our spirits lifted. Choose to live life with God right now where you are. So perhaps if you're feeling lonely now or uprooted or anxious or overburdened, all you need to do is just whisper the name Emmanuel and you can sense that God will draw nearer and nearer to you. I'd like for us just to practice this right where we are right now. I invite you just to perhaps close your eyes, maybe just get in a posture of stillness and just whisper this name under your breath to address God, to remind yourself that he's not distant but near. Emmanuel. Maybe let out a deep breath just to lower your heart rate a bit. To settle into this moment. Emmanuel. Emmanuel. And imagine as you just say that name, that God's coming right near to you. He's sitting right next to you. He's looking right at you. He doesn't ask you to have to go do three or four or five things to kind of set yourself right to meet him. He wants to meet you right where you are as you are right now. Whisper that name to him, Emmanuel.
feels like we are in a, on holy ground right now as all of us together are calling out to God. We can do this no matter where we are or what we're going through. He is nearer to us than our very breath. Emmanuel. Thank you, God, that you are with us. Amen. I invite you, whenever you're hurting, whenever you are feeling like things are tough, call out to that name. When you feel overburdened, anxious, just say that name, Emmanuel. Right where you are, maybe it's in the car, maybe it's at work, just say that name and he will be right there with you, my friends. He loves you. He longs to be with you. But not only does he long to be with you, but we've learned secondly that our God is the wonderful counselor. He's the wonderful counselor. All of us at different points in our lives need counselors, people who can offer consolation when we're grieving, comfort when we're hurting, direction when we feel as if we are drifting. I guess I am so in need of a counselor that I married one. Now, to give you a little window into my world, I can often find myself in therapy when I thought at first I was just doing the dishes. And a few weeks back, in fact, I was driving Erin to work, and uh, I was about to drop her off, and she kind of leans over and just drops this bomb on me. Hey, do you think you have a low-grade depression? And it's kind of a joke, but, uh, but I say, hey, welcome to my life, you know? But she might have been a little bit more serious, and in all fairness to her, I am and always have been somebody who feels the pain of others, the pain of the world, and even my own pain very acutely. When I walk into a room, it doesn't take very long for me to notice who's really hurting behind that smiling face. And some, sometimes those feelings can get really heavy for me, and they can cast a shadow over my disposition that I don't even realize that I have. But most of us don't have to be alive for long to be aware that darkness perpetually looms like an impending threat in our lives. And it's to this experience that Isaiah announces, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. While Isaiah was saying this, the people who are on the brink of being taken captive uh, by the enemy opposition, this metaphor suits our cultural moment and our present experiences so all too well. Might the pain of your present then be an opportunity to call out to our wonderful counselor for comfort? Might the, the challenging decisions and imminent choices you have to make be an opportunity to call out to our wonderful God, wonderful counselor for guidance? If so, ask him for it and believe that our God, he is not a God of confusion, but he is a God of clarity and he will in fact lead and guide you as you let him. Now for me, of the five names that we're going over, Wonderful Counselor has been the name that I have leaned into most during this season. As I've kind of reflected back on 2018, the thread that seems to be woven throughout the whole year is just uh, the thread of tension. The tension between some really great joys and some, and some pretty tough sorrows. The joys of new birth and the joy of, uh, and the sorrow of endings. People that have passed on people who have moved on. There's just been challenging circumstances that have caused me to question who am I and what really am I here for? And I found myself looking for answers and often feeling overwhelmed, feeling insecure. And yet God has been gentle enough to draw me back, to invite me to just pray to the wonderful counselor. And as I have, I have felt my anxiety start to diminish 
I have found, felt my peace start to return, and, it's, and I have been able to remember that God is the one who is in charge and that he loves me and that he is the wonderful counselor. Comfort and direction are available no matter where you are, my friends, because our wonderful counselor is here. Our wonderful counselor is here. He's not just a good counselor. He's not just a decent one. He's a wonderful one. Well, the third name that God, uh, Isaiah reveals about who Jesus is, the name Mighty God. Mighty God. The Hebrew for Mighty God is this Hebrew term, El Gibor. Would you say that with me? El Gibor. And if you want to put some guttural in it, you can sound really good. Maybe we're hoping to clear your throat, but didn't want to. That's what makes the Hebrew language so wonderful. El Gibor. And uh, there we go. I heard some of that. And uh, this means strong or brave or mighty. This word's used to describe this word Gibor about David's mighty men, those folks who had his back no matter what. And because Jesus was able to walk in our very shoes and this kind of circumstances that we find ourselves in. He knows where we need to be strengthened, where the weak areas of our lives are. But unlike David's mighty men, Jesus is not a mere mighty man. He is the mighty God. He's the mighty God. And yet, his power does not operate in the ways that we usually associate power uh, or see it at work. God's power is often surprising, subversive. It's counterintuitive. We only need to look to the cross to see how that is true. One of Jesus' great missionaries, the Apostle Paul, found himself in some very weakened places in need of strength. In 2 Corinthians, this New Testament letter, we, we hear how Paul is admitting very vulnerably his insufficiency and his weakness, and what he refers to as a thorn in the flesh. And as he talks about his weakness with Jesus, Jesus says this to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. That word perfected could also be translated unleashed. The power of El Gibor is unleashed in our weakness. This has amazing implications for us because our God is mighty. Your weakness, your weaknesses no longer need to be seen as simply weakness, but they can be seen as latent strength that is waiting to be released by God. So what area of weakness do you have in your life right now that God might be able to strengthen? Is your body feeling weak, like it's aging, I just turned 35, and since then, I've had some back issues. It's been really pathetic and sad, so I need some of that strength. Maybe you need strength for a relational struggle or a stress or some kind of loss or some kind of fear about confronting somebody that's crippling you. Maybe you're going to be seeing this person in the next couple of days. Ask God to be your strength. Maybe you're feeling overcome by some kind of addiction or failure or trauma that happened in the past which keeps impeding your present. Ask him to be your strength. And whatever it might be, present this weakness before God just like Paul did and believe that by his grace and through your sustained effort, his power can and will ultimately be unleashed his way and his time. So strength is available because our mighty God is here, friends. Cry out to him and believe that his spirit is an empowering presence within you.
But if God doesn't do what you want him to do when you want him to do it, don't lose faith. Have hope, because remember, as we said earlier, hope is a willingness to let God do it his way and his time, and we can trust that he absolutely will. But God's not only powerful and mighty, we also learn that he is personal and relational. We can call to him as our everlasting father. Earlier this month, I received a wonderful Advent guide crafted by one of my mentors from back in Colorado, and he writes this. He says, our culture will tell us that as we get older, we should need our fathers less. That maturity means independence. Scripture teaches us that as we grow, we recognize our need for God more. He is our everlasting father because we are in everlasting need. We constantly derive our identity and direction and our independence from him. So perhaps the, the greatest way that God is calling you to discover hope in your present is by learning to need him more, to relinquish that self-sufficiency that seems to drive you so that you can instead trade that in to live and work with God, not apart from him. Or perhaps this invitation to you is to remember that God is your father. And if, that means, if God is your father, then that means your identity is as his daughter or as his son, one who is loved by God him. You don't have to prove yourself to have a good sense of self or identity. You don't have to compare yourself to others or to be better or to outdo or to reach all of your goals or to get all the degrees or all the promotions that you're after to have a good sense of identity. There's no greater identity that you could possibly attain than the one that has been made for you through Christ's sacrifice and God's great love. And that is his daughter, or as a son. You are loved, and that's ultimately who you are. But that identity, at least for many of us, it's a lot easier to try and earn that kind of identity than to just simply receive it as a gift of grace. I was reminded of this earlier in the summer. I was playing with uh, our older son who turned two around the time. His name is Dallas, and we were just having a ton of fun, kind of goofing off and wrestling, and just playing at our home. Nothing special, uh, nothing out of the ordinary about it. It was just the beauty of just a great moment uh, in our lives together and in our interaction. And as we were playing and having fun and smiling and laughing, I started to get a sick feeling in my stomach. I started to fear that someday, this whole relationship could change. That one day, Dallas might stop feeling comfortable just being with me simply because he's just my son. He might, start, might instead start to feel like he has to prove his worth to me to be able to come to me. He might feel like he needs to get really good grades or uh, get this great job or do all these wonderful things or be this awesome pastor's kid so that I look better in order for him to be able to feel like he could come to me. And that just broke my heart to think this amazing dynamic that we had together could be changed and that Dallas would think he, there's something he would need to do in order to be with me. I could almost hear him saying, Dad, look what I've done. Aren't you proud of me? Dad, look, look who I've become. Don't you love me? And I would say, of course I love you, Dallas. I've always loved you. You didn't have to do all those things for that to be true. I just want to be with you. And as I thought about that whole scenario, I realized God was telling me the very things that I was saying to Dallas in my head. 
I keep trying to prove my worth to God by being as sacrificial as I can or to be as prepared and as excellent as I can in whatever I'm doing and I'm still striving and earning and it's uh, trying to earn and it's weighing me down and all along God is saying, just be with me. I've taken care of all that. Just be with me. I'm your father. I love you. Let's just enjoy time together. That's God's invitation for all of us. That's how he wants to be with us, just like that. Hope is available. True belonging and, and true identity is available because our everlasting Father is here. Call out to God as your Father because his love for us, he's an everlasting Father because his love for us never ends. And then lastly, we learn that God is our Prince of Peace. The Hebrew word used for peace is the most famous one. It's the word shalom. It doesn't just mean an absence of conflict, but it means flourishing, a comprehensive kind of flourishing in all the relationships that matter most for us in our lives. Our relationship with God, our relationship with others, our relationship with the world, and even our relationship with ourselves. Think about these key relationships in your life. In any way, do these relationships feel off? Is there a way that you might need peace, maybe with you and others, maybe between you and God? Maybe you even need a sense of peace with yourself, to love yourself well. If so, cry out to God, who is our Prince of Peace? He wants to bring that shalom to you. That, that, uh, I love how the message translation uh, translates this phrase. Peterson puts it as Prince of Wholeness. Prince of Wholeness. Where do you feel broken? Where do you feel fragmented? Where are things off? Just whisper the name, Prince of Peace, and God will come to meet with you. But I encourage you at that same note to also search your life, your thought patterns, your habits, the ways that you interact with others, the attitude that you have. Is there something that you are carrying with you that you don't maybe want to let go of that's disrupting the potential for God's shalom to enter into your life? If so, Change the way you're thinking and acting in light of this grand new opportunity for how we can be with God. Peace is available because our Prince of Wholeness is here. Well, as we wrap up, I hope and pray that you all have a wonderful next couple of days celebrating Christmas. May the joy overflow. May the relational time be rich. May you enjoy a time to relax and unwind. But don't forget, January 2nd is still coming, and we're going to find ourselves descending that Christmas mountain back into the ordinary time of throwing salt on our steps and trying to shovel out all the snow. It's going to be miserable, but in, those, in, that, in that misery, remember that hope is available. Hope is available. Hope is not just available for your past because Christ has come. Hope is not just available for your future because Christ will come again. But hope is available here and now where you are, no matter what you're going through, because God is Emmanuel. He is with us. Direction is available because God's our wonderful counselor. Strength is available because our God is mighty. Identity and belonging are available because he is the everlasting father and shalom is available because he is our prince of peace and he is with us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. And as we settle our hearts, I invite us once again just to say the name Emmanuel. 
to sense God right here in our midst. Emmanuel. Emmanuel. And as we have this posture of prayer for a moment, I just want to ask you, which of these names resonated most with you? Whichever name that was, like for me, it's Wonderful Counselor. Just say that name now to express your need and your longing, your desire to be with God. Just say that name to him now. Ask him to meet you in whatever need that you have. And he will come right alongside you. I believe God has been speaking to all of us in a very powerful way this morning, and I don't want to miss the moment of offering an invitation to you now. Maybe you are here today, and you have never chosen to live this with God life that Jesus has died on the cross for so that you could experience that freedom, that forgiveness, that life that never ends with him. If you are here today, and you have never asked God to live life with him, and you want to make that choice today, I just invite you right where you are, wherever you are, just just to slip up a hand real fast, just to say, God, I want to be with you. I want to live my life with you. I don't want to live a without God life. I want to live a life with you. If that's you, wherever you are, whatever campus you're on, I invite you to do that. Thank you. Thank you. And maybe you have been finding that so much of your ordinary life, you're trying to do it on your own. You're almost completely forgetting that God's with you and you're living in a part life from him at work or uh, a life apart from him and you're maybe late nights when you're trying to relax. Whatever it might be, make the choice now and ask God, Lord, help me to be with you in these times where I feel very distant or I've kind of shut you off or maybe unintentionally tried to do things by my own strength. God, may you help us live, all of us, a more integrated life where we wouldn't just have a whole separate way of living apart from you, but we would constantly in our life, in our faith, in our, not just on our Sundays, but on our Mondays through Saturdays, live life with you. And I pray, God, that we would be able to arrange our lives in such a way that we might be able to be more present to your presence, knowing you are always with us. So, Father, our everlasting Father, may you, the God of all hope, fill us all with joy and peace as we learn to need you and trust you and be with you more. And may our lives overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit so that the whole world may know that you are here, that you are God that you love each and every one of us. And it's in Christ's great name that we pray all these things all together. And everybody said, amen. Amen.